Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. My name is Susie Collett. I'm a violent crime survivor, a martial artist, and I'm the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Hume Vaseen, a fitness professional and certified Pretty Deadly trainer living in Islamabad. We're exploring the kinds of violence women around the world face, the different ways we defend ourselves on a daily basis, and of course, sharing our self-defense tips and techniques as we go. If there's anything you would like us to explore, send us your questions and comments to hi at teamprettydeadly.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. We are back. Hello, Hume. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I think what would be interesting to talk about today is emotional self-defense. And I know you have some thoughts about that. Of course, I have, I have thoughts about every kind of self-defense. But I'm curious to hear about how you defend yourself emotionally, especially in your work, because you work with you're a personal trainer. So you work with a lot of one-on-one clients and small group sessions. I imagine you also have to work with some suppliers, um, providers of equipment and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. So, you know, um, I was protecting myself. I think everybody has their tools to protect themselves emotionally, but I wouldn't call it emotional self-defense. I think it was after taking this pretty deadly course that I realized that, okay, you can be defensive and it's a good thing. Like it protects you. Because I remember when I was like in my teenage, there was a guy who accused me of being too defensive. And after that, I think I started becoming very non-defensive to the point where it did hurt me on later in life. So I think this course taught me that, yes, I can be defensive, especially the no game. So it's such a simple game. You just have to say no to questions but it teaches you that okay you can mark a boundary here mm-hmm. um like, can i interrupt for one second yeah sure um it's i think the no game is just good practice i la- i'm smiling about the guy who told you you were too defensive because i've certainly had those kinds of comments in my life too you're too cold you're too strong you do this you do that yeah. you're too much for them so when people are saying you're too defensive or you're too cold, or you're too distant, or you're unapproachable. Um, yeah. What they're saying is, is you are not letting me in. Yeah. And it's your fault. You should, because they're, it, they're trying to manipulate that situation to let, so that you let down your defenses so they can worm their way in. Yeah. When, every, when anyone says you're too defensive, that's a nice big fat red flag to pay attention to. Definitely a manipulation technique and Maybe you can say, maybe you're too offensive. That's why I'm compelled to be defensive, you know? Yeah. So in my class, how have I used it? This has actually been a question mark for me. You know, I've had clients who were double my age. And in Pakistan, we're really big on respect to the point where we let people walk all over us. So I've had clients who would talk during the class and talk about really inappropriate things as well. And I've had them keep going on and on and on because I was afraid that I might come off as a bitch. Um, But now I'm like, like in the course, you talk about how when you're an authoritative teacher, then students respect you more as well. 
and you can show them that you know better than them, you know, that you're at a place of authority. So that has really helped me as a yoga teacher, a group fitness instructor. Um, I'm not so afraid of showing people that I am the boss here, you know, in a group class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I, I, one of the things that was important to me when we were crafting our and developing our trainer certification program is to help give these kinds of tools to trainers and to help illustrate that you can show authority without being, you know, like a school teacher. You know, yeah. there's a there's a quiet way to do it that doesn't shove authority down people's throats, but that simply establishes that, yep, this is your space and you are the owner of it and you're the one who has the knowledge that people are coming to you to gain from. Yeah. You know, and I think it's it's we often learn these things in a, in a more combative sense or a more like, you know, strict hierarchical sense where it's about punishment and reward and reprimand and, you know, let me just remind you who's the boss here kind of thing, rather than, you know, recognizing that you don't have to go overboard with it, that there's, that there are more subtle ways to, and more friendly ways to let people know that, you know, as I said, this is my space. I'm the owner of it. I'm the one with the knowledge that you've come here to learn from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly helpful for people like me who have been very afraid of, you know, owning up their authority in a group class. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you, like, were you always this way? Were you always, you know? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. If you were to ask my brothers, they would say yes. Um, and my parents, if they were still alive, they would say yes. Uh, I, I don't know why this is, but um, some of it comes from my mom, I would say. Um, but I've had a clear sense of my own boundaries from a, from a really, really, really young age. Maybe it's because I'm the only girl among three brothers. Yeah, I've that- noticed this um, when a girl is a sister to like three brothers and she also starts behaving like the boys. But yeah, like, you know, that, didn't, that didn't fly in my house. My parents didn't really allow that. Um, they were quite traditional even for, I mean, for America, they were very, very traditional. So I wasn't allowed to, like I wasn't allowed to play with Legos, for example, which was really oh. a drag because I wanted more than anything to play with Legos. What were you allowed to play with them? Dolls. Oh, really? Okay. Dolls and um, stuffed animals and like little kitchen sets, toy kitchen sets. Do you make the stuffed animals fight with each other? I doubt it. I don't. I think I use them as a barricade rather often. That's That's what I remember. I don't quite remember making them fight. I mean, I know that my Barbies used to get into some pretty long and heated discussions with Ken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in general, but, but I, I don't remember any actual fights. Um, yeah, so I wasn't allowed to do these things. I wasn't allowed to wear trousers in public until I was about 10, I think. Um, yeah, it was a really strict upbringing. So I wasn't allowed to act like the boys to a large degree. 
Yeah. Well, no, not nice, but I think that's also what, you know, I also had to, um, I had to protect my space. So boys are traditional and my brothers included are traditionally raised to believe that they have, that they're entitled to everything and they particularly want whatever you have. Right. So if you have a piece of cake and they didn't get a piece of cake, they want yours. Oh. So, so like my brothers were allowed to play with my, they didn't want to, but they were allowed to play with my dolls and my Barbies and my stuffed animals, but I wasn't allowed to play with their stuff. So didn't it, was it make always, it more attractive that, that you would want to play with their stuff because you weren't allowed to? I can't answer that question because Legos are cool regardless. Yeah, that's so true. I can't, I don't know, like, would it, would Legos still be as cool if I wasn't denied Legos, probably because they're cool. Yeah, so I don't that's, yeah, that's a hard question to answer. But yeah, so I think from that, I, I learned to establish boundaries for myself from a very young age. And my mother was actually really great about, um, about teaching the importance of consent. And this was, this was in 1976. So oh, this wow. wasn't when this was a common uh, practice for parents or for anybody really. But my mother made it very clear to me as a little girl that no one is allowed to touch me without my permission ever, including my own parents, that I'm not obligated to love anybody if they're hurting me, including my own parents. Wow. Yeah, she was really, really adamant about teaching me these things that no one is, uh, no one is allowed to tell me what I'm feeling. No one's basically, no one's allowed to dictate my reality to me. Wow. So that didn't make me a whole lot of friends as a little girl. (laughs) Cause she was the only one on the block teaching me these things. But at the same time, um, that established these boundaries for me at a very, very young age. And I've never had any problem enforcing them. My mother just told me that all men are, all boys are bad. Don't talk to boys. They're the worst, which wasn't great advice. No, that's not good either. <laughs> it wasn't. But this is how, you know, people are a bit too conservative in Pakistan. And they just wouldn't talk about these things with kids. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, back in the ni- early 90s. Yeah. Right, right. Things have changed. I think that's how a lot of girls were raised, you know. I remember when I was in high school, we were in a social science class, and I can't remember what the, how the discussion came about, but there was a boy in the class who said, oh, if I had, I mean, we were like 15 or 16 years old, and he said, oh, if I have a daughter one day, I'm just going to lock her up in a box and never let her out until she's an adult, because I know what boys are like. A boy said that. Yeah. And I looked at him and I thought, you're not, you're not seeing a problem with any of this. Like you're yeah, that's very absolutist thinking and it's absolutist. And it's also like, but you're a boy. You know what boys are like because you're a boy. So you're also telling me that this is how you're that you're dangerous. Yeah. How old was that boy? I'm guessing 15 or 16, same age as me. Okay. at the time so it was it was such a weird thing to hear as a kid but a lot of other boys were like oh yeah 
and I thought, but you guys don't, are you not seeing the, the, I've actually heard a lot of men say that. Yeah. But it's really discordant to me because, because they're talking about themselves. You're saying like, if you know what men are like, so you would lock up your daughter instead of talking to other men, instead of examining yourself. Yeah. As a way to keep her safe or instead of empowering her with the tools for self-defense, like how are you, how are you really helping anybody at all? You're keeping one person so protected that she's isolated and helpless. Yeah. It's just the easier thing to do, you know? Yeah. It's difficult to stand up to somebody who's equal to you in physical power and say, maybe you should change. And it's easier to lock up a girl in her bedroom it happens a lot in Pakistan yeah it happens in a lot of places in the world yeah it really it's it's uh, it's infuriating to me you're listening to the pretty deadly self-defense podcast hosted on ACAST and available on iTunes Spotify Audible and our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com and wherever you get your favorite pods.